say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is Unspoiled, covering His Dark Materials, Book 2, The Subtle Knife, Chapters 6, 7, and 8. Lighted Flyers, The Rolls Royce, and The Tower of the Angels. In these chapters, Lyra loses the alethiometer, but they do gain the subtle knife. Welcome to Unspoiled. Dun, dun. Yeah, Will gets in a knife fight this in this section. <laughs> I guess that is true. Um, what did you think of these chapters? Uh, I thought they were all right. I was a little kind of up and down in my interest. Okay. Um, like, I thought the first half of this first chapter that we covered with Lee was kind of boring. Like, it wasn't really grabbing me. But then it got to the part where the witches, who, who I have usually not liked very much... Um, and went to Chitagotsky, or not to that city, but to that world. Right. And uh, we found out a lot more about the Spectres. I thought that was super interesting. Okay. Um, and then the Rolls-Royce stuff, that was cool. And the knife fight section, I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, sometimes it was interesting, sometimes. But you weren't interested in the knife? I think the knife is the interesting part. Um, but, like, the kids... Like doing that and like the fight scene, I think was the most like I, I was having a hard time following it a little bit. Okay. Um, but when they were describing like how it works and everything, that was kind of interesting because it looks like it can, um, you know, travel through worlds and also do all sorts of other neat stuff. Um, so. I have to say that after listening to the audiobooks with you and reading it instead, I prefer reading it a lot more. Yeah. I don't know what exactly because. You know, I've been listening to the Dresden Files, and I loved that. So I don't think it's like I'm biased against audiobooks, but the, yeah, there's, the, just, there's something about the narration of yeah. that that is just not very good. And it's not like it's. I think it's well done. Yeah, that's kind um, of what's puzzling like to me. Everyone involved seems talented, but they all have kind of a droning way of talking. Mm -hmm. that it's kind of like, uh, like, 
what do they call that road hypnosis mm, where you're okay. just watching the road and you're you're watching it but the white stripes are just they kind of hypnotize you into like almost falling asleep and that's kind of what's like listening to this audiobook yeah i feel like there's almost something about the quality of the narrator that makes it feel much more like a children's book definitely and when i read it i'm like no this is serious shit but yeah. it's just not I really recommend if you have a chance to sit and read to try doing that because I find that it, it just improved this immensely to me. Yeah, maybe I should try to do that. My problem is I don't always have the time to do it, but maybe I should try to make the time. Um, yeah, I'm a bit of an audiobook snob and I see what you mean about it. Just like not – it's good. Like we were praising it early on like about all the different voice actors and mm-hmm. everything, but – it doesn't quite grab it. And I think you're right. I think that the way it's cast and narrated mm-hmm. makes it seem more like a children's book. Um, it, and that works really well for the like the Harry Potter audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Like those are also narrated in that way. And you know, as they get more and more mature, it still works. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, I don't know, maybe that's part of my problem. Yeah, I um I was really surprised honestly that it it was that big of a difference to me because when I went back I like went back and just flipped through the previous chapters in order to see um cuz you know when we recorded it felt like we both had like missed things last mm-hmm. time. Yeah. And uh when I was reading it I got sucked into rereading it even yeah. though we had just gone over this material and yeah. I was like so why material. isn't listening? Yeah. Why isn't listening doing the same thing for me? And then when I continued reading, I was just like engrossed. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I, I much prefer reading it. And I want to thank Catherine Hudson, who bought me the book on my Amazon wish list um, as a surprise. It just arrived in the mail one day. And uh, I think that's going to help me a lot with yeah. covering this. Um, yeah. So I didn't dislike this section, but I didn't like it as much as last week. Okay. I thought that last section we did was really good. Okay. And this, sometimes it's not as good. I preferred this one, actually. Oh, really? Um, that, yeah. That first chat, well, the second half of the first chapter, when it's the witches talking to that guy, it's really interesting. I think that's, like, some of the best stuff in this book. I don't want to say the best chapter because, like I said, that first half was just kind of like, uh, uh, maybe it's because I didn't... See, I loved Lee... the Lee Scoresby thing. Well, Lee is talking about these people, mm-hmm. and maybe it's just that, like, I'm reading this in two distant of chunks. Okay. Um, like, I don't remember half the people he's talking about. So I'm just like, yeah, but who, why do we care? Like, maybe that's my problem. Half the people that he's talking about, what do you, like, most of the people in, this, in that part of the chapter we haven't even met yet. Oh, see, okay, that's the thing then, then... I don't know why I should care about these people because I don't know who they are and why they're dragging them down. It's not them they're supposed to. You're supposed to care about. It's the information he's getting from them. That he, like, yeah, but it's about a certain person, and I don't know who that is. So Stanislav Grumman, the one that okay, supposed- so he's the one who supposedly went missing. The, he's the one that supposedly his head his head was, was shrunk. Yeah. Okay. Um, or not shrunk, but inside the ice and had the top of it cut up. Okay. Um, that Arya. Uh, I'm going to do that all again. How do you do that? You did that last time, too. Don't even start with me. Lyra actually said, I think my dad was lying about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And apparently they all agree. And he's also the one that was What's-Her-Face's lover, the witch. Um, Which which witch? Or, no, he wasn't. Lord Asriel was, sorry. But he somebody tried to take him as a lover, and he said no. 
Um, Which you just don't do. And the reason that they are looking for him is because they think that they can, uh, that he has some connection to everything that's going on and that he can give them information about possibly where Lord Azrael is. But it turns out it looks like they found him by the end of that chapter. Um, and oh, with the crazy like palace or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like I have questions about that, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, all right. So let's just get into this part then. Cause I actually really like that part and that surprises me that you didn't. Um, Lee is at some bar and he's asking around about Grumman and, um, these guys are, it's, it's one dude who they get, then get joined by somebody else later. Um, oh yeah. The church guy. No, not here. The church guy is much later when they're at the observatory. Oh, okay. Um, here it's a fur trader and, uh, he's asking him about the, first of all, they're talking about the weather and the fog, which is still not cleared. Well, um, some of the ice is melting and revealing all of these uh, regular formations of stone on the seabed, which is very interesting to me. And I like the whole idea of that, that there's like maybe s- tiny stone hinges under the water. Oh, I didn't think about it like that. I was thinking of like Atlantis. Maybe that too. Um, but I have a very bad feeling about this fog because of what we hear about. Chichigatsky. Oh, and the specters. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the specters came out of the fog. So that's not good. Yeah. That's not a good sign. Um, and yeah, they, uh, everybody's having a hard time finding work because of how weird the weather is and the fact that the ice is melting. And I mean, a lot of people are depending on the snow for transportation and I'm sure that's a problem, but so the hotel is full. Um, and he's asking him about uh, Groman, and this guy says he was a Tartar, all right. I was there when he joined the tr- the tribe. I saw him having his skull drilled. He had another name, too, a Tartar name. I'll think of it in a minute. Um, and th- this is actually an additional dude who winds up joining them. And they talk about the fact that this guy had his command of this Tartar group, which is really unusual. And as it turns out throughout the conversation, it it appears that he was accepted as a shaman, which is why these guys were probably listening to him because um, he was supposed to be some sort of uh, accepted as a sort of authority. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's kind of weird. I wonder why they let him do that. Yeah. I guess he was a badass. See, when when they first started talking about him last book, mm-hmm. I pictured like a nerd, like a sciencey dude, mm-hmm. like a Professor Frank. From the Simpsons. <laughs> okay. Glyden. Uh, but apparently, like, this entire chapter is all about, no, this dude's a badass yeah. of some sort. He's like a creepy, uh, like, I get like a creepy vibe off him. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably because he, like, went to some tribe that let, that started drilling holes in his head. Right. Which is usually a creepy thing to do. I love the um, description that he says, too, um, where I'm trying to find the thing. Uh Oh yeah, here it is. He um he walked into a trap that fool Yakovlev laid. Uh cut his leg open to the bone. Instead of using regular medicines, he insisted on using the stuff that bl- the bears use, blood moss, some kind of lichen, ain't a true moss. Anyway, he was lying on a sledge alternately roaring with pain and calling out instructions to his men. They were taking star sights and they had to get the measurements right or he'd lash them with his tongue and boy, he had a tongue like barbed wire. Which I really like that description a lot. 
Um, I have a tongue like barbed wire. No, you do not. I don't? Nope. I, I This would not have worked out <laughs> had that been the case. Sometimes it's like barbed wire. <laughs> um, and then when this other dude joins up with him, they, th- he's the one who says he was a shaman. I think the tribe recognized him as a shaman before they adopted him. Some business that drilling. It goes on for two nights and a day. They use a bow drill like for lighting a fire. You know that? Like mm-hmm. back and forth. Like that yeah. sounds fucking horrifying. Yeah, I don't see how you could live through that. They they used to do it like in our world as well. So apparently hmm. you can. Um, And... That is when the original man that he had been talking to is like, oh, okay, so that's why they listened to him. I thought it was just because he was so mean. But it turns out that they actually were kind of scared of him. Um, And then he says there was a witch who wanted him for a lover, but he turned her down. He shouldn't have done that. A witch offers you her love, you should take it. If you don't, it's your own fault if bad things happen to you. It's like having to make a choice, a blessing or a curse. The one thing you can't do is choose neither. (laughs) Um. And then uh, they, they, it basically kind of devolves into what happened to him. And nobody seems like some people say that he was beheaded. Some people say that um, that he was camped out somewhere and got buried under snow and died under an avalanche. Um, and they also mentioned that his demon was an eagle, a black eagle with a white head and breast, which was an, it's called an osprey. Which I looked it up and it looks very much like Arya, our cat. <laughs> but a bird. But a bird. Um, if Arya was a bird. And let's see. Um, oh, and that his uh, his they his name, um, the Tartar name is Jopari. And that's... See, th- oh. This is kind of what I'm talking about, like not really getting it. Like, you know, they set that up like, oh, I'll remember it in a minute. And then they like reveal it. And I'm like... Okay. Okay. You know, like, mm-hmm. do they give a bit a more of an explanation that I missed or something about Jopari? How that's significant? I feel like they say what it means, but I'm just kind of. They like, don't say what it means. I mean, don't? when he says Jopari, Lee says that's not a that's not a Tartar name. I mean, I don't even know what that's not. Might be Nipponese, is what he said. Oh, I did like that because, uh, although that doesn't sound like a Japanese name to me, but what do I know about Japanese names? Um. I don't know. I, f- I just felt like I was missing something. You, like, was I supposed to have remembered that name? No, but you were missing something. What, but was, you'll, I, what you, was I missing? You, I'm not telling you, but you'll find out later. Okay. Um, but now I'll remember that name because also that name, like, they say it, they kind of, like, drop it big. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't even feel like that's a memorable name. Like, if we weren't talking about it now, if it comes up later, like, I probably wouldn't have recognized it. So... If it's in this section and I missed it, then that's probably why. Because, like, Joe Pari, like, I don't know. Um, yeah, okay. Um, this you're, is that's, you're giving me a very smug smile. I'm not, I'm trying not to. I'm sorry, but it's it's kind of funny because when I first read this, I did the same thing as you. Like, why did, why was this a big drop? And yeah. when I got to this part in the book, it wasn't even that I remembered what it was. It was like all of a sudden I was like, oh, and then I thought to myself how did i miss that the first time and i thought maybe you would get it but um but yeah okay it doesn't matter you'll find out um so they recommend that he goes and talks to the guys in the observatory 
um, and he has to find somebody to bring him up there, and like nobody wants to go, but eventually he finds somebody who doesn't use a compass because apparently the uh, magnetic fields of the Earth are also really fucked up, so that wouldn't have worked. Yeah, which I like that detail. Yeah, um, I like it when weird, um, like weird. Uh, I, I want to say like astrophysical or, but like weird phenomena like this happens mm-hmm. and it just completely fucks with everything. Um, and this driver actually tells him that this has happened before. Yeah. And uh, he's like, wait, what really? And he says many thousand generation. My people remember all long time ago, many thousand generation sky fall open and spirits move between this world and that world. All the lands move. The ice melt, then freeze again. The spirits close up the hole after a while, seal it up. But witches say the sky is thin there behind the northern lights. Um, and he says, what's going to happen? He says, same thing as before. Make all same again. But only after big trouble, big war, spirit war. So that's cool. Yeah. Uh, which, when we find out later about, you know, the specters coming into that world... 300 years ago i thought he was talking about this but this guy says thousands of years ago yeah. so i guess not but um, i do i do like that it's happened before and he's like yeah we've been talking about this forever yeah yeah it's uh, that i didn't remember at all and um i think that's a pretty cool detail that it really intrigues me like i always like things in books that make you go well i wonder if that there's this whole thing about um in the books um outlander that you know, she time travels and winds up in Scotland during the Jacobite rebellions. And she invents something that existed already in the 70s where she's from, or I guess she was in the um, 40s where she was from. And she starts to wonder if everything that's been invented that was like this huge advance suddenly in technology was actually invented by somebody who had traveled back Uh and was just recreating a thing that had been created. And that was it like who, where did the original idea come from? Was there any original idea or had it just like existed and then was created? But like, which I think is a pretty crazy concept that yeah. kind of twists your brain a little bit. It's very wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. Well said. Yes. Um, and this one, I like the idea of like, what if, uh, you know, the ice age was opening up between worlds and we had had all these dinosaurs walking around and then maybe the dinosaurs got killed by some other world opening and all of these uh, ice spirits coming out and killing all of our dinosaurs. One of my very favorite uh, like comic book like miniseries was a series called Captain Stern. And it's not a superhero story at all. It's a science fiction story. And uh, the bad guy of the story is like this company that's making like a thinly veiled um, Coca-Cola ripoff. Okay. Um, and... Their secret ingredient is a plant that they went back in time to harvest because it won't grow in our ecosystem. Okay. And the reason it's made so well is they use dinosaur poop (laughs) for fertilizer. Okay. Um, It's a weird comic book, but, like, they're going back in time and, like, there's all these things, all of these, like, giant fields where they're harvesting these plants. Okay. And, uh, And the... The secret ingredient is so addictive that it brings people back from the dead and keep <laughs> drinking it. Uh, That's I need amazing. to dig that out of my long box and read it. Uh, I think you'd get a kick out of it. That's it's really pretty funny. amazing. And like at the end of the story, like there's so many zombies just like taking up space on Earth that they're like 
shuttling them off to the sun to throw them in the sun because there's such an overcrowding problem. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's really interesting. It's based off of uh, you've never seen heavy metal, have you? No. Uh, it's like a science fiction heavy metal music inspired cartoon anthology. Mm -hmm. And one of the shorts is Captain Stern. Okay. And he's kind of like this. Uh, kind of like a Flash Gordon meets like a Han Solo or uh, that guy from Firefly. Okay. He's kind of got that sort of vibe. He's like, he's got this giant shin and he's like super devil may care and roguish. Um, check it out. It, it might be on like Comixology. So to any of our listeners who want to check that out, it's really great. Okay. That's funny. Um, but yeah, I just, that's what I love about the whole time travel or like, uh, alternate earth things like there's just so much so much space to do weird things that you can't do in any other kind of story mm -hmm. and uh, that's why i really like this uh story later where we find out more about what sets the different worlds apart okay um yeah i mean i i can't can't we have worlds that come together and come we have an aurora there's nobody to say I, maybe the maybe the dinosaurs came from another world. Maybe they weren't even here. How about that? Maybe. Um, um, I mean, there is a multiverse theory, and <laughs> some actual uh, physicists take it seriously. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So, and then uh, when he gets to the observatory, um, all of these guys. <laughs> I, I really like the line. Um, a few minutes after he arrived, Lee was talking to a group of astronomers eager to learn what news he could bring them, for there are few natural philosophers as frustrated as astronomers in a fog. And uh, so they've been just super bored. And he comes in <laughs> had, and they're just like all about that. telling him everything. Yeah. Um, and they're disagreeing on a number of things. Somebody says that he was German. Somebody else is like, no, he's he was English. His command of that language was immaculate anyway. So nobody can agree where he's from. And um, and then somebody says that he's a geologist, and another one says no, he was a paleoarchaeologist. And one of them gets annoyed. He's like, "What? Archaeologists already study old things. Why would you call him a paleoarchaeologist?" And uh, he says his field of study went back much further than you'd expect. He was looking for remains of civilizations from twenty, thirty thousand years ago. Nonsense," said the director. "Utter nonsense. The man was pulling your legs. Civilizations thirty thousand years old. Where's the evidence?" Under the ice, said the pole. That's the point. According to Grumman, the Earth's magnetic field changed dramatically at various times in the past, and the Earth's axis actually moved, too, so that the temperate areas became icebound. How? said one of the Muscovites. Oh, some complex theory. The point was, any evidence there might have been for, for very early civilizations was long since buried under the ice. He claimed to have some photograms of unusual rock formations. Ha! Is that all? said the director. I'm only reporting, not defending him, said the pole. Um, so apparently, and, and then he says, uh, when, how long have you, had you known him? And the director says it was seven years ago. I met him for the first time. He made a name for himself a year or two before that with his paper on the variations on in the magnetic pole, but he came out of nowhere. I mean, no one had known him as a student or seen any of his previous work. Um, so everybody's talking about what could have uh, happened to him, but most of them seem to think that he's probably dead. And, and this is Grumman they're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and somebody goes off to make coffee, and there's this little interim where his 
uh, demon Hester is like, so look at the scrailing. Which I don't, I don't get that term, scrailing. Um, from, I think the name of the country is Scrayleg. Um, but is it's just a, a nationality. Okay. It just has so many nationalities in this book are based off of ones in our world that I'm just like, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't remember exactly where. Um, but yeah, he looks up and the the Skrillings Damon, which is a snowy owl, is staring at him with like malice, basically. And even though the dude is keeping his own face composed, it's pretty clear. And then he notices that he's wearing a ring that has the signet of the Magisterium on it. Yeah. And that he is a censor. Um, meant to keep anything that doesn't fall within the guidelines of what is acceptable to discover under wraps. Which I like. Yes. Um, but they do the old dust gambit, which mm-hmm. I'm so tired of by now. Just like any Why? And it seems like any time a character doesn't know what to do, they're just like, so what about that dust? And then just see how people react, which we've seen that happen just so many times. And I'm just like, yeah, but but stop that. I don't Why, know. Why, though? I don't know. That's be- like the point. I get be- just because of the way they just like people just immediately start flipping out and will start murdering you just for mentioning it, uh, which we now know that it's basically dark matter. Mm-hmm. It would just be like, you know, the equivalent of me going into a room and being like, you know, in a room full of scientists, or religious people or whatever, being like, so dark matter, huh? No, though, because the magisterium, I mean... Somebody who said that the earth revolved around the sun was force-fed poison at one time. Yeah. It's not unheard of at all for people to be condemned and killed for believing in something that is scientifically opposed to whatever the religion is teaching at the time. I guess that's true. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that you had that reaction. I've had this hang up on the whole dust thing, though, forever, though. I know, which I don't get. It's like... I don't know. That seems like a personal problem. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and when he brings it up, everybody stops and is like, shit. Because this dude who... I mean, they were able to talk about basically anything else. But the fact is that Grumman was most likely looking into dust. And maybe that's why he's gone. Hmm. Okay. And uh, See, I keep expecting to find him with Azrael. Okay, I mean that's possible. I mean, we basically but... know nothing about him other than he's uh, sketchy and faked his death, or S- Azrael misled them about the death. So I'm expecting that this dude's actually going to be in that weird palace thing. Okay, that's being built. I mean, the thing is that, like, yeah, you're saying either Azrael lied or he faked his death, but it felt to me, I guess he could be in on it with him, but I wouldn't. I didn't think that he knew anything about it. Who didn't know anything about Grumman, it? That Asriel went down and was like, hey, this is his head. You know what I mean? Well, we don't know anything about Grumman, though. Why no, not? we don't. But I just, I guess they could be in on it together. I just, the fact that I he's like... not with Asriel when Lyra comes to his house. Oh. You know what I mean? Like, I've... I would have thought that they would have met up already if that had been the case. I guess that's true. I feel like maybe they were sort of along the same tracks and Grumman's already found a way to cross over. Okay. I don't know. I just feel like they have to be in on it on some level because, like, you know, we talked about this, I think, in our first section that we did. Um, I thought it was super flimsy how they brought up this whole Grumman side plot. And so, you know, 
I feel like that has to pay off in a big way. Okay. And that they were just being a little clumsy in how they introduced it. Okay. Um, so that's my theory on that. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah, he says, I thought, you know, the dust thing, I didn't really get it, but I figured it was a celestial thing like the Aurora. And, uh, but it puzzled me because as an aeronaut, I know the skies pretty well and I've never come across this stuff. What is it? And the Scraling says, as you say, a celestial phenomenon, it has no practical significance. Um, and then he gets up to leave and the dude tries to kill him. Yeah. But he turns around and shoots him in the leg, which turns out to be a mortal wound, which he had not intended. Um, he shoots him in the leg and it's a mortal wound? I yeah. Mean, I guess there's like arteries and shit down there. That's, but... That is what he said was looks like a hidden artery. Oh, okay. Um, um, see, this is what I mean about the audiobook. Like you missed huge chunks of stuff. Yeah. I'm bringing things up and you're like, oh, they mentioned that? Like, yeah, they do. Uh, well, to be fair, I also like re- doing it over audiobook. Um, I listen to it over the course of a few days. And, like, little details like that will just float right out of my head. Um, but one detail I did not forget is that Lee Scoresby um, tucks his demon, Hester, into his coat. And I just picture, like, this kind of rough-looking cowboy, like uh, Sam Elliott, with a cute little rabbit poking its head out of its <laughs> coat. And that's adorable. Um, and he takes his ring, also. Um, which is Hester's advice. And he's like, we're not thieves. And she's like, no, but we are now renegades and we need, you know, this might come in handy. You don't know. Um, I'm with the rabbit because I've been playing a lot of fallout and uh, that seems valuable. Taking shit is good. Yeah, you got to take it. You got to loot the body. I really like too. after he, uh, he shoots the guy down. He holds the gun to the guy's head and says, right, you damn fool. What did you try that for? Can't you see we're all in the same trouble now? This thing's happening to the sky. And clearly, no. No, he can't. No, he cannot. And then he says, he like is going to try and save him using a tourniquet. And the guy says, no, I'm glad to die. I'll have the martyr's palm. You will not deprive me of that. And he says, then die if you want to. Just tell me this. But right as he says that, the demon disappears and he has died. Hmm. So he has to push him over the edge of the cliff into the snow. And uh, I like to... um. Let's see. Where is it? Do, do, do. Um, peering into the gloom, he saw that the path was edged by a steep drop into rocky darkness, and he rolled the Skraelig's body over. It fell for a long time before he heard any impact. Lee had never enjoyed violence, and he hated killing, although he'd had to do it three times before. Ooh. I want to know more about that. I'm kind of surprised he's only had to do it three times, because right. wasn't he in like a war? Was he? I thought he served in some kind of a war thing with the bear. I thought they talked I about that last book. I don't remember that. Oh, well. Because like, they no, knew I each other that. from before. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was because they were in like a war type thing. I don't. They like served together in some sort of yeah, I don't know. army I don't type remember. thing. Fighty, fighty, shooty, shooty. Um, but I like that he is sort of like a... Um, romantic wild west type character and yet he does not like violence well he's played by sam elliott he's majestic you know what i mean though no i do i just i think that's because i wouldn't have expected that i don't think he seems like a gentle guy but yeah at the same time 
people have many faces and you can yeah, see plenty gentle but and he's still not, be brutal. He's never really grim. He doesn't have that edge to him a mm-hmm. lot of the times. He he does seem like the kind of guy who could kill and would if he really, really had to. But no, I, that that did surprise me a little bit just because I hadn't thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that I actually think about it, like, no, that kind of makes sense. Okay. And legitimately, some of that does come because I picture him as Sam Elliott in my head. And I don't see Sam Elliott just, like, gunning people down like a Clint Eastwood or a, uh, I don't know, some other violent cowboy. Um, so he go he, uh, let's see, he goes to his guide and he says, you ever hear of a man called Grumman? Oh, sure, said the driver. Everybody know Dr. Grumman. Did you know he had a tartar name? Not tartar. You mean Jopari? Not tartar. What happened to him? Is he dead? You ask me that, I have to say I don't know. Um, and then he says, maybe not dead. Maybe he is. Maybe neither dead nor alive. And he says, how can he be neither dead nor alive? In spirit world. Maybe he in spirit world. Already I say too much. Say no more now. Um, I don't like that action. The accent. No? It was kind of weird in the audio book. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So just more mysteries, dun, dun, dun. which I take that to mean, yeah, he went to another world and he knows more than he's saying. He says, you ask me that, I have to say, I don't know. Like, maybe it's because he knows more, but he has to say that he doesn't know. Yeah. How did they say it in the book? I mean, in the audiobook, Joe Pari, did they say it like that? Yeah. Okay. And um, then I like it when Lee repeats it. Joe Pari. <laughs> um... Okay, then we go to the witches, and they're in the other world at this point. Um, there are different plants than what they're used to. They're flying around. And uh, they're watching these, they see these flocks of weird eth- ethereal spirits that she can feel malice coming off of them. And they avoid them, but, it, and they can't, they're apparently earthbound, they can't like fly after them. Yeah. Um, but she doesn't know what their deal is until they witness an attack on some travelers. Yeah, it's brutal. It is. Um, and they can tell the kids don't see these things. And these things don't go after children. They go straight for the adults. And there are two leaders on horses that just go booking it. And she's like kind of disgusted by the fact that they just abandoned their party. But as it turns out... They have to because they know that the children are going to be fine and the children still need somebody to bring them to where they need to go. So that's part of the rules about how they have to travel. There has to be at least one adult male and one adult female to guide each group um, mounted. Which I don't get why one has to be male and one has to be female. I think it's... Why it has to be necessarily one male and one female isn't clear, but... It makes me think of like um, when you're working in a professional setting and you go into a room and close the door, that there has to be at least one per like there has to be at least three people in that room, because if it's just two one on one, there is a possibility of somebody being taken advantage of and there not being any witnesses or anything like that. Mm. Um, and being that these are children, yeah, yeah I could see that sense. that maybe being you know. Um, as far as it being one woman and one man, don't really know unless it's they're trying to, you know, well, create a parental like you said, they sort are, of They unit. are kids mm-hmm. and, you know, with kids you tend to separate along gender lines, I guess, when you're on a field trip. 
Yeah, I guess that's true. Which is kind of not really what this is like. But as far as like handling the kids and stuff, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so. But it doesn't kill the adults. No. They're just, you know, zombies. They're vegetables, basically. Yeah. Um, and do they take them with them or do they leave them behind? They leave them. That's what I thought. Yeah. Um, which I guess they just leave them to starve to death. Basically. Which, I mean, I'm sure they don't mind. They don't seem to mind anything. And there's a really sad moment where, like, there's a little boy that's his father is holding him and standing in deep water. And as he's attacked, he lets go of his son. And his son is drowning, like, trying to grab his dad's hand. And his dad is just, like, not acknowledging him. And um, Serafina has to go down and grab the kid and save him. And then... Later on, a bunch of the kids are, like, grabbing their mom and, like, crying and trying. She's just, like, not responding at all. Yeah. Um, it reminded me of, like, a really, really deep depression. When somebody is just at this point where nothing seems to be getting through, you know? Hmm. Um, but if they... I think the wording that he uses is um, he was uh, staring at nothing with nothing in his eyes. Where is it? Oh, here it is. Um, The stricken adults had to stay where they were, though it was painful to see the little children clinging to a mother who no longer responded to them or tugging the sleeve of a father who said nothing and gazed into nothing and had nothing in his eyes. Um, the younger children couldn't understand why they had to leave their parents. The older ones, some of whom had already lost parents of their own and who had seen it before, simply looked bleak and stayed dumb. Serafina picked up the little boy who'd fallen in the river and who was crying out for his daddy, reaching back over Serafina's shoulder to the silent figure still standing in the water, indifferent. So, that's depressing. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of, did you ever see that horror movie, The Crazies? No. Okay. I think it was like from the 70s and then they did a recent remake. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, I can't even remember what it was. No, you know what it really reminds me of is The Happening. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, terrible. I just listened to the flop house on The Happening. I actually love The Happening because it's so dumb. It's so dumb. Um, I just giggle <laughs> the whole time. All we have to do is outrun the wind. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, but basically in that movie, people just are like overcome with a thing and they just start killing themselves mm-hmm. in... Sometimes hilarious ways. Um, but, I mean, these people aren't trying to kill themselves, but something just kind of overtakes them, and then they just kind of lose all reason, mm-hmm. which I knew was reminding me of something. Um, or Dementors. This is what I imagine it would be like to be administered the Dementors oh, kiss. Yeah, I guess it's true. Um, and so they're, you know, um, the witches have come down. They're ta- talking to this guy. I don't know if we actually get his name, do we? Yeah, we do. I just can't remember what it is because it's like... Super, oh, here it is. Super Italian. Joaquim Lorenz. Actually, that's probably not Italian, but um, apologies to our Italian listeners. <laughs> and he he's talking about the fact that the, the, uh, the land that they're from used to be so beautiful and peaceful and um, fertile and just abundant. And then these specters came, and it really—it seems to be that this guild is responsible for the specters arriving. 
Um, he says, 300 years ago, it all went wrong. Some people reckon the Philosopher's Guild of the Tor Degli Angeli, the Tower of the Angels, in the city we have just left, that they're the ones to blame. Others say it was a judgment on some of us for some great sin, though I never heard any agreement about what that sin was. But suddenly out of nowhere came the specters and we've been haunted ever since. Um, and he says, imagine what it's like to live in a world with the specters in it. How can we prosper when we can't rely on anything continuing as it is? Um, and they're talking about the philosophers and the fact that those philosophers basically figured out a way to go between worlds and they just go between and steal shit. Yeah. Which is a pretty interesting concept, actually. All of this here, can you can you guess what it reminded me of? What? It totally reminded me of Fallout or just any kind oh. of post-apocalyptic thing. Just okay. talking about how, you know, once once people get desperate, you know, once people are afraid, like mm -hmm. it's all done. It doesn't matter if you could conceivably, you know, pull everyone together and maybe fight through it. Like once everyone's panicked, you're done. Mm -hmm. um, which is why I always come back to post-apocalyptic stories because I just find that so interesting and so true. Mm -hmm. um, you know. That's why – that's what I think something is done very well in The Walking Dead, to be honest. Yeah. Is that, you know, once people panic, you're screwed. Um, and at the end of the day, that tends to be what screws everyone over in that show is one person screws up. Uh, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's very topical right now considering the climate. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's the sort of thing that is always topical. I mean, it is, but right now, because of... Yeah. I feel like it's really reaching fever pitch lately. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, yeah, he says, they pass in other worlds and steal from them and bring back what they find. Gold and jewels, of course, but other things, too, like ideas or sacks of corn or pencils. Um, and that explains part of why I... Because, you know... It's possible that maybe they just have them, but the fact that there was like cans of Coke in their fridge at, at Shitigatsi or whatever it was, I don't know if he specifically says Coke, but it's soda. Yeah. Um, maybe somebody stole them and or the brought back the idea for soda and started making soda. You know what I mean? Well, what you do is you go out into the wasteland and you just take everything that's not nailed down. I'm talking desk fans. You need as much glue as you can carry. <laughs> glue, huh? Corn. Oh, okay. yeah. You need that adhesive. And you bring it all back to your base and you scrap it all. And then you can build whatever you want with it. Okay. In my experience, that is how it works. Um. Why don't the specters harm children? Asked Ruta Scotty. That is the greatest mystery of all. Um, what do you think that's about? Uh, it still has to have something to do with the whole um, uh, original sin thing. Like, not original sin, because I thought that was dumb, but the whole soul thing. Okay. They're attacking people with souls. Okay. So, like, if they were... Which is why I thought it was weird that the witches... But I guess they never actually attacked the witches, because... They try to. Yeah, but I find it weird that they go after the witches and not the demons. But, so well, they, the demon wasn't within reach. The demon was in the air. Yeah, but I feel like if they're eating souls, which is what it seems like they're doing, right? Yeah, Okay. Then why would they go after the witch when the witch's soul is, you know, over there? I don't think that going out... It's like, if you kill a witch, her demon disappears. If you kill the demon, she disappears. I don't feel like attacking her is just not getting the soul. You can still get it, and I think her demon would just start to disappear. Mm. 
I don't think that they're like separate. There's obviously a very yeah, strong bond because they try and of some sever kind. them. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, because also like kids have demons, but they just don't work the same way. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, their demons haven't settled. Yeah. Um. um so I don't know. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I feel like these the specters have to be in some way connected to that. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that maybe they were demons from another world, like dead ones, or like oh. souls that had been severed in some way. Interesting. That okay. came from another place, and now they're here, and they have to eat souls. And they're trying to get back their, what's the word, essence, or something like that? Or they just feed on it. Okay. Um, so I don't know. Um, And then he describes that there was some huge storm and then came a fog that lasted for days, covered every part of the world and no one could travel. And when the fog cleared, the cities were full of specters, hundreds and thousands of them. So we fled to the hills and out to sea, but there's no escaping them this time wherever we go, as you saw for yourselves. Um, He talks about how kids will like become mercenaries who mm-hmm. will like hire themselves out to adults to do things yeah. and scavenge. I thought that was interesting. It's a really good idea. Um, Cause yeah, I could definitely see Lyra doing something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then he mentions angels and, and this is creepy to me. Is it? Yeah. Um, Cause like we don't really know what their deal is. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of mysterious and very powerful and stuff. And, like, later on they talk about how uh, if the witch lady could see them properly, she would see them more as architecture than uh, than flesh. Than humans, yeah. Than organisms. Yeah. Um, um, they just kind of give me the creeps. I think that's fair. Um, yeah, he says, some of them call them watchers. They're not beings of flesh like us, or maybe their flesh is more finely drawn than ours, lighter, clearer. I wouldn't know, but they're not like us. They carry messages from heaven. That's their calling. We see them sometimes in the sky, passing through this world on the way to another, shining like fireflies way, way up high. On a still night, you can even hear their wing beats. They have concerns different from ours, though in the ancient days, they came down and had dealings with men and women, and they bred with us too, some say. Um, and he, there's like a fight outside of some place that he's hiding and he comes out and sees an angel on the ground injured and he looks away and then when he looks back, it's gone. And that's the closest that he's ever come to one. Mm -hmm. Um, so they can get hurt. Right. Um, and let's see. Um, he says, It might be that a war in heaven would sweep the specters from this world altogether and back into the pit they come from. What a blessing that would be. But he doesn't sound very hopeful of that. Yeah. Um, And then uh, Seraphina asks about dust, and he has no idea what that's about. When he's talking about a war in heaven, I got the impression he was talking about the angels versus God. Um, What it says here is... When the fog came, I was beset by specters. I took refuge in a shepherd's hut by a spring next to a birch wood, and all night long I heard voices above me in the fog, cries of alarm and anger and wingbeats too, closer than I'd ever heard them before. And towards dawn there was the sound of a skirmish of arms, the whoosh of arrows, and the clang of swords. I daren't go out and see, though I was powerfully curious, for I was afraid. I was stark terrified, if you want to know. Um, when I ventured to look out, I saw a great figure lying wounded by the spring. And 
yeah, let's see. Something's happening. We don't know what it could be. There could be war breaking out. There was a war in heaven once, thousands of years ago, immense ages back. But I don't know what the outcome was. It wouldn't be possible. It wouldn't be impossible if there was another. But the devastation would be enormous. And the consequences for us, I can't imagine it. So, yeah. I don't know if it's who would, who is versus who. Right. Um. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Then the dust, he doesn't know anything about it. And uh, then he points out the angels. And Rudiscotti goes after them. Um, and Rudiscotti, I still don't trust her at mm-hmm. all. Like, she's so sketchy to me. And she's so arrogant. Yeah. Which is Domineering. Ne- which is very rarely a quality I can tolerate in, in, in a character. Uh, sometimes when it's pay- played for laughs, maybe. But, like... On a character like this, I'm just like, I really hope you die. Um, yeah, because just... I I feel like once she gets to Azrael, she's gonna flip. Like she is on Team Azrael, not on Team. Oh, witches. okay, okay. Um, yeah, that I don't think that she's. Really... I thought you meant flip, like be upset. No. I didn't realize. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, wait, I, what? I feel like she would flip sides. Okay, like at the beat of a hat because she's so into Azrael, which is, I don't know, it feels almost pathetic. Because, like, she's a witch. She's, like, immortal. She should be, like, on a higher level. But she's all about, like, sucking Azrael's dick. I mean, I don't really know that that's true. She wants to see him again and she misses him. But I don't necessarily think that it's pathetic. Mm. I mean, plus, if you're in love with somebody, how do you just, like, get past that? No matter what level you're on, it's not like she's an angel as we see them. She's still, like, I still feel like she's on a higher level, though. Okay. She's immortal. Sure, but... She's got, like, magic powers and shit. Sure. I don't feel like that give necessarily puts you on a higher level personality-wise. Mm. You, you're immortal and you have powers. Like, if I had those things, doesn't mean that it would change exactly oh, who you, I am. You would lord that shit over me. You'd be like, ha-ha, you're going to die when you're 80 and I'm going to live forever. Yeah, I would be super happy about the fact that you would die when I was, like, not even a quarter of the way through my life. Yeah, you'd and, be making fun of me and shit. Yeah, I'd be really excited to, <laughs> you know, stay young and watch you I don't know. wither part, and die. Part of it also is that I know that Asriel's such a piece of shit. Well, there's that. Um, that I'm just kind of already writing someone off if they think he's totally awesome. Okay. Um, but I mean, I guess as far as we know, she doesn't really know that because we didn't quite get that from him early on. Like we knew he was kind of a bad dude, but we didn't quite realize the level to which he was kind of a bad dude. Mm -hmm. I mean, he wasn't, he, he wasn't even that evil in the last book, but it just, he killed a little kid that we liked. Yeah. I mean, he was cold. He was very More cold. than evil, I feel like is the word. Is that just that he he was so focused on his goal that it was a worthwhile sacrifice for him, meaning it was he meant nothing to him personally, so it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they're fo- they said that they are following a call, and she says Lord Asriel's, and they said it may be, and she says, "Why are you following his call? Because we are willing to." Came the reply, which I don't. I don't like that kind of talk. Why? That just like super vague, vague to the point of not making sense sort of talk. But I mean, it makes sense coming from an angel. Like that's kind of the way I expect an angel to talk. Mm -hmm. But on the same hand, like I'd be rolling my eyes, like just as hard as I could. Um, 
and then this is my favorite little Ruta Scotty was 416 years old with all the pride and knowledge of an adult witch queen. She was wiser by far than any short-lived human, but she had not had the slightest idea of how, like a child, she seemed beside these ancient beings. Yeah, like that. Nor did she know how far their awareness spread out beyond her like a filamentary, like filamentary tentacles to the remotest corners of the universe she had never dreamed of. Nor that she saw them as human-formed only because her eyes expected to. If, they, if she were to perceive their true form, they would seem more like architecture than organism, like huge structures composed of intelligence and feeling. I like that. But they expected nothing else. She was very young. Yeah. Um, do you know who Galactus is? No. From Marvel Comics? He's like a big purple dude in a helmet who eats planets. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know who that is. Um, anyway, he is like, that's literally his thing. He, the silver surfer is like his gopher. Okay. And he like sends about the planet. It's like, go find me something to eat. But like, he's a big giant dude in like purple armor and with like this amazingly, like, it's such a ridiculous helmet that it becomes an awesome helmet. Okay. It's like a Pope hat with like, like rectangular antlers that come off of it. Okay. Um, and he is, like, considered – he's portrayed as, like, a cosmic force of nature. And one of the interesting things about that character is that, you know, we see him as this goofball, human-looking dude in purple armor. But from the point of view of other alien races, when they see him, they look like their race. Because, like, that's the only way you can comprehend him is by making him look like what – kind of what you would be used to okay and i just that totally reminded me of that okay that sounds bananas <laughs> yeah but i just like that it's like yeah these are angels so you know you tell someone they're angels and they look you know they look like an angel would they're wearing right. like a white robe they've got a harp and wings <laughs> they've got a harp i wish they did have harps have you ever heard uh have you ever seen the emperor's new groove no Oh, Patrick Warburton has a shoulder angel and a shoulder devil, and the shoulder devil just mocks the angel the whole time. Like, <laughs> Don't listen to him. He's got that stupid string string uh, guitar thing. <laughs> I told you before, this is a harp. Yes, that's a harp, and that's a dress. <laughs> it's a robe. Um, but I think it's interesting that they are, just, you know, very traditional looking angels like mm -hmm. what you would expect um and it does not bode well for the kind of like i feel like this series has to end with them squaring off against these very cosmic good and evil godlike forces okay which i don't know how lyra's gonna <laughs> handle that um she felt a fierce joy possessing her that she could command these immortal presences and she rejoiced in her blood and flesh, in the rough pine bark she felt next to her skin, in the beat of her heart, and the life of all her senses, and in the hunger she was feeling now, and in the presence of her sweet-voiced blue-throat demon, and in the earth below her, and the lives of every creature, plant and animal both. Um, and she rejoiced, too, that she was going to see Lord Asriel again. See, I don't feel like that's that... Like, she's having this moment of intense joy and connection to the entire universe and being... And the fact that she's excited to see him again is a part of that. But it's not like, I don't feel what's really driving her, you know? Mm. I don't know. I feel like that's why she's going where she's going. 
I, mean, I don't know. Maybe she would be following the angels just to see where they go. But I feel like she's mostly going after them because they're heading towards Azrael. I think that she would go either way. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that they said that makes it, yeah, I'm going for sure. But I think she would have anyway. Yeah. Um. So she feels that they have traveled and they have passed into another world. And uh, she asks the angels, like, how, where's the boundary? And they said, well, you aren't able to see it. Only we can see it. And so she memorizes the outlying mountains and how they look from where she is. And um, let's see. Uh, do, do, do. Fixed her attention on three jagged peaks below her and memorized their configuration exactly. Now she could find it again if she needed to, despite what the angels might think. And uh, then they slow down and there is this huge mountain with this like fortress on it um it says on the highest point which as she looked was touched by the first rays of the morning sun and outlined in brilliance stood a regular structure a huge fortress whose battlements were formed of single slabs of basalt half a hill in height basalt yeah basalt um and whose extent was to be measured in flying time Beneath this colossal fortress, fires glared and furnaces smoked in the darkness of early dawn, and for many miles around, Rudiscotti heard the clang of hammers and the pounding of great mills. And from every direction, she could see more flights of angels winging toward it, and not only angels, but machines, too, steel-winged craft gliding like albatrosses, glass cabins under flickering dragonfly wings, droning zeppelins like huge bumblebees, all making for the fortress that Lord Asriel was building on the mountains at the edge of the world. And is Lord Asriel here, she said. Yes, he is there, the angels replied. Then let's fly there to meet him, and you must be my guard of honor. Obediently, they spread their wings and set their course towards the gold rim fortress, where the eager wi- with the eager witch flying before them. Dun, dun, dun! Okay, now, how is Asriel building this thing? How indeed? Like, that's, I don't know, we'll find out. But, like, he's just a dude. Like, it's not like he has magic powers. I, I find it weird that... He's, you know, he's been in an alternate world for what, maybe a week, two weeks. Feels like longer than that. I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's been longer than that for Lyra. When he meets with Lyra, he asks, how long have you been here? And she says a couple weeks. Okay. So like, okay, a month or two. Okay. But he's already getting like his own building built. Like, I don't know. He must have hooked up with someone who liked him a lot. Maybe he's got a new boo. (laughs) New boo. (laughs) <laughs> Lord Asriel's new boo. Um, okay, so. Chapter 7, the Rolls Royce. Right. Dun, dun, dun. Also, I just want to say, that last chapter was way too long. I feel like that was part of my problem with it. Okay. I feel like it should have been two chapters. Okay. For sure. Like, that was a long chapter. We, we spent an hour talking about it. It's a super long chapter. Well, I think we spent more time talking about it because I'm using the book to guide me this time instead of the way that we had been. Still, it was a really long chapter. Okay. Um, And, like, it it had, like, a definite, very clear splitting point. I just found it super weird that that was only one chapter. Let's see. It starts on 116 and ends on 144. I don't want to do math. Yeah. Whatever. Like, 25 pages. Yeah. Um, but just not just page length, like a lot of stuff was crammed in those cause you know, you've got, you've got the whole thing with the witches and then the whole thing with the angels and then the Lee thing, which is 
kind of two separate sections in mm -hmm. what Lee does. I just found it weird that it was um, broken up like that. Um, whereas, like, this next one, like, the Rolls-Royce thing, like, it's it seems much more structured, I guess. Okay. Um, so it starts off in Chichigoski, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, Lyra's, like, hanging out. There, she's hanging out and swimming with them, and... Um, they are talk. She asks about where the specters came from, and uh, they're arguing. The kids are arguing about where they came from. They came because of the guild, said one kid. The um, my granny says they came because people were bad and God sent them to punish us. And uh, they say that the one of the kids like talked shit about that kid's granny. Yes, <laughs> I enjoyed. She she got a beard, your granny. She's a goat, all right. I'm like oh shit. Um, and then. The stone tower belongs to the guild. There's a secret place in there. Um, they were the ones who let the specters in. The guild, uh, he was taking some metal apart. He was going to make it into gold, and he cut it and cut it smaller and smaller till it became to the smallest piece you could get. So small you couldn't see it even. But he cut that too, and inside the smallest little bit, there was all these specters packed in, twisted over and folded up so tight they took up no space at all. But once he cut it, they whooshed out, and they've been here ever since. That's what my papa said. Yeah. So basically, they split the atom. Mm -hmm. So it goes back to the whole elementary particles thing, mm -hmm. which is also what dust is. So, like, did they break a dust? Like, how does this work? <laughs> they broke that dust. Um, and later on, we find out about the knife. And mm -hmm. it seems like the knife is maybe to blame for all this. And the knife is the same as the blade that was going to separate... Uh, Lyra and her demon? Mm -hmm. Well, one half, one side of it is. Oh. And the other side of the blade is steel that can cut through anything. Right. Um, I don't know. Like, I feel like there's still a lot of things up in the air. Okay. Well, that's fair. Um, so they're telling her that there's no grown-ups in the city at all. And she's like, yeah, I know a liar. You're fucking lying. And I know I saw somebody up there. Yeah. Um, so don't they start she, to say something about someone's brother? They had last, like a couple chapters ago when she first oh, met okay. the kids and they like nudged each other and shut each other up. Right. Okay. Um, so she goes back to Oxford while Will's asleep and meets up with Dr. Malone. <laughs> she, she goes back to Oxford and fucks up good. Mm -hmm. It's kind of nice to see her mess up because she's been so savvy so yeah. far it's like yeah eventually this is gonna backfire and i like that it's in somebody else's world too because she knows how to handle people in her own world because what they know is easier to predict because they don't have the technology that they have in our world yeah and so them being able to do what they do and know what they know is uh sort of out out of her ken as they say out of her kin ken yeah they um beyond her ken i think is what they say beyond her knowledge hmm. um but she uh gets pulled into the bathroom by dr malone before she goes to the office and dr malone's like um there are police here i don't know what the fuck they're here for but something's going on and so you had said that you felt like it was a trap that, but it doesn't appear that Dr. Malone set it up to be a trap. No, no, I was wrong about that. Um, and I really like, I'm Sergeant Clifford. Come along in. Lyra thought this young woman had a nerve acting as if this were her own laboratory. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so they ask her all kinds of questions and she's sort of like, she gets overconfident basically. Were you surprised at what Dr. Malone showed you? Um, and they go, uh, has your father got as far as Dr. Malone and where are you staying? And what's the name of the street? Is Will staying with you as well? Yes, he, and she stopped. She knew at once she'd made a horrible mistake. So did they, and they were on their feet in a moment to stop her from running out, but somehow Dr. Malone was in the way, and the sergeant tripped and fell, blocking the way of the inspector. It gave Lyra time to dart out, slam the door shut behind her, and run full tilt for the stairs. Right. And she says something about one of them being very light-haired. Which one is that? The um the dude, the inspector, okay. I think. Because, yeah, sergeant, um, the sergeant is the woman. Sergeant, where is it? They just said Sergeant Clifford. Um, and the, uh, guy is Inspector Walters is how she introduces him. Okay. Um, and so that makes me think, cause he's probably that guy that Will encountered mm, the really mm-hmm. blonde guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means that these guys probably aren't cops at all. Oh, right? you don't think so? Okay. I'm not sure. Cause we don't really quite know what their deal is. Okay. But he didn't seem like a cop when he was hunting Will down. I could just be a dirty cop. Yeah. And we know that he said he's a cop before because that's what that one guy said. Mm-hmm. Um, who was that? Who was um, the guy with the mail? The guy that... The banker uh, guy. Yeah. That Will called about his father's right. whereabouts and estate and whatnot. Um, so she manages to get out and like hides behind this uh, uh, bush. Well, I, I still have a question. How okay. do they track her down? Like, how do they know to oh. go to that clinic? Here, let me see what it says. Um, To Oxford. Lyra, there's someone else in the lab, police officers or something. They know you came to see me yesterday. I don't know what they're after, but I don't like it. What's going on? So. So we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. They know that she came to see her. Maybe Dr. Malone, not realizing that it was like a problem, was like, do you you think she'll be back? Or, you know. Mm-hmm. And when she was like, well, I made an appointment with her today, they'll be like, perfect, we're going to wait and see her. And then all of a sudden she's like, wait, why? Because um, I could see that, you know, you're not really thinking about it in those terms yeah. to start off with. And you just are like, well, yeah, she'll be back. Well, that's fine. I just don't know, like, how they know about her at all. Lyra? Yeah. They were following her. I mean, she sees the guy with the eyebrows um, last. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so, so they've been kind of shadowing her. Okay, and I guess maybe they saw him. They saw her with Will at some point. Possible. That's why they're following her. Probably. Okay. Um. I'm just. I just didn't know how they would know about her at all because she hasn't been around this world mm-hmm. until very recently. Yeah. So. Okay. But she gets away. Yes. Um, and she is saved She's- seemingly by um, Mister Snakeface. <laughs> Mr. Snake Sleeve. Um, and he's got this gorgeous Rolls Royce with a driver. And, with a uh, peaked cap. With a peaked cap. And, you know, he's just talking to her and drops her off somewhere. And she has to, like, kind of bumble past him to get out of the car. And um, when she meets up with Will, she is flipping out. Because, as it turns out, her alethiometer's gone. Yeah. And she knows the guy took it and she is like heartbroken. Yeah. And um I just really liked the 
She sobbed so passionately that he thought that hearts really did break, and hers was breaking now, for she fell to the ground wailing and shuddering, and Pantalaimon beside her became a wolf and howled with bitter grief. Aww. Um and she's he i really really love this too you're going to be so angry i promised i wouldn't give you away i promised it and then she sobbed and pantaliman became a young clumsy dog with lowered ears and wagging tail squirming with self-abasement <laughs> that's just so easy to picture have you ever seen a dog that looks really ashamed of himself yeah oh there is nothing more pathetic i don't know how dogs manage to look so guilty they can even have that look when they haven't done anything. Yeah. But I think it's their eyebrows. My grandma's dog, Kramer, always looks guilty. <laughs> he is the most pathetic dog I've ever met. He's just, he's always, he's like a rat terrier. So he's all, he's small and he's always just like shaking. Mm-hmm. And he's got these big bug eyes that are always just like popping them. And he usually like won't quite look at you. <laughs> and he's like the biggest mama's boy. So if his mom will like leave, if grandma leaves and goes and does something, he's even more wretched than usual. Uh, almost to the point that like, I, I kind of like can't enjoy him because he's so so sad <laughs> i just kind of get irritated with him um so yeah that, that's pretty perfect they do a good job describing what he's like yeah um so she tells him about everything that's happened and um then she remembers that she has his card in her bag that he had given her and she suggests that they go steal it. And he's like, this is a rich man. He's going to have a whole security system. We can't just go take it. And he's like, use your head. And she's like, um, I'm not from your world. Don't know about any of that. So I couldn't know, could I? Which I was like, yeah, really, Will. Come on. Well, to be fair, her plan was a bad plan. Sure, it was. Like, but, you know, he's acting it, like she's being such an idiot. And it's like they, there is a possibility in her world that that maybe even could have worked. In this world, No. But, I don't think it would have worked in her world because he also makes a really good point about like it's a house. It's it's a big house probably. Like there you know how many places there are that are like that you can hide stuff in? Like I had a small house and people were searching my house for something and they never found it, mm-hmm. you know. So I thought he made a good point there. Um so they go through the window and uh they and it's uh This giant, gorgeous manor house. And the dude comes to the door. First, it's a servant. And then when he comes to the door, he's got not a slight bit of, like, shame or anxiety on his face at seeing them He's like, yeah, you talking about this thing? Yeah. He brings him in. He's like, oh, yeah. And then he sticks it in this cabinet and locks the door. And it's like, isn't it pretty? It's mine. Ha ha. I'm rich. No one's going to believe you. I really love that, uh... Lyra spits in his face. Yeah, that was, that was kind of good. awesome. I was surprised there were no repercussions for that. No, I, well, except for him being such a... Have you any control over yourself? He said, go and sit down, you filthy brat. Ooh. Well, fair enough. She did spit in his face. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's totally... But I just really like the disdain, mm-hmm. you know? Um, somehow that's worse than him actually doing anything to her. Not really, but you know what I mean. Right. It's just more like dismissive. Like you're so not even worthwhile. Um, so he tells them that there somebody has a knife and he wants it. And if they bring them the knife, he will give them the alethiometer back. And he's like, I hate to lose it, but I'm a man of my word. And To uh, which I immediately was like, this is bullshit. 
Um, were you really? Yeah. Okay. He's not a man of his word. He lied about who he was and where he's from, and he stole a thing. He's not I mean, an honest guy. I don't want to say he's a man. Like, I don't want to say that means that he's not a man of his word because he never gave his word about who he is or where he's from. This is him specifically giving his word about an yeah, agreement. This was very clearly a setup from the start. So, no, he is not an honest man. Okay. Um, so, uh, Will, very reasonably, is like, no, drop us off right by the window. Because you can't go in there anyway because of all the specters. So, whatever. Um, and when they go back, um, they go up into, well... She has Pantalaimon look up into the tower. Um, and there is, as Pantalaimon says, some dude up there that looks like he's dancing. And he's like, yeah, I don't know what that's about. They sneak up and they watch the guy. And that is what it looks like he's doing. And they're like, what the fuck is I thought he? he was probably trying to kill specters or maybe trying to open up doors with the knife. Okay. I don't know. I, it, it's opening doors. That's what the old man says when they find him later. Oh, okay. He's like, he's trying to cut open, but he won't be able to do it. Because he doesn't know what he's doing. Well, that and he's not the bearer. He didn't lose oh, his fingers. Okay. Um. So they go, they hear somebody groan and they realize that there's another person there, which none of them expected. And when they go upstairs, there is a dude, an old man, who uh, is pretty badly beaten. And he is... He's missing his teeth. Yeah. Yeah. When when Lyra later on is just, like, talking about, you poor old man, basically. Like, mm. I, that really was kind of touching. It was sad. It was. Like, he got the shit kicked out of him by some shitty teenager. Yeah. He does seem like a shitty teenager. Yeah, and he seems crazy. Like He's a real... Uh, What's the name of that teenager I hate in The Walking Dead? <laughs> Ron. He's a real Ron. <laughs> I don't like that because there are several Rons in fiction that I actually do like. Yeah, I know. I hate that his name is Ron. I'm like, yeah, come I, on. I immediately think of Ron Swanson. And how amazing would that character in The Walking Dead be if he was just same exact character but played by Ron Swanson? <laughs> <laughs> Going and locking the door. Um, I don't want to spoil people. Sorry. Yeah. Um, okay, so... Uh, his face was bruised and battered. One eye was closed. And as they saw when they got closer, his hands were tied behind him. Um, they managed to uh, untie him. And the guy tells him, uh, Giacomo Paradisi, the old man muttered through broken teeth. I am the bearer, no one else. That young man stole it from me. There are always fools who take risks like that for the sake of the knife. But this one is desperate. He's going to kill me. Um... And then the dude comes up there. I was kind of surprised he didn't kill him already. Probably because he's trying to figure out how to do it and torture the guy into explaining to him how to cut it open, you know? Yeah. Um, And, yeah, dude comes up there, sees them, and uh, he drops the knife almost right away, but then gets it back. And he slashes at Will. And Will feels a bit of pain, but... I really enjoy that the ground was spattered with a surprising amount of blood. So it's like he just doesn't feel it at first. Yeah. Um, And then they uh, kick the knife away and the dude goes like flying down the stairs. And they see him outside later and he gets attacked by the specters. And uh, the brother and sister of this guy are planning on killing Lyra now they blame her for this and they're like we are so gonna kill you 
And I like that. Yeah, but that brother was a piece of shit, so they oh, should yeah. get over it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's how it works. Yeah. Um, so Will's uh, small finger and ring finger have been cut off. And the dude keeps on saying, you're the bearer now. And they're like, what are you talking about? And he's like, look, and he holds his hand up and he's missing the same fingers. So apparently that is a sacrifice you have to I make. Will, I will say, because they don't really hand talk about the fingers falling off until after the fight. Mm-hmm. When that happened, I was it was an oh shit moment for me. I was like, I did not think that was the sort of thing that they would do. It was just a very visceral, kind of disgusting thing. Yeah. It was a little disturbing. Um, and yeah, like you said, I like the fact that you don't know until after it's over, which is apparently what happens when a really sharp blade cuts you. Like, you don't feel it at first. I've had yeah. that before when I've been cooking. Um, when I've worked in professional kitchens and you have somebody doing the knife sharpening all the time, it's a totally different type of blade than what you use at home. And I have suddenly been like seen blood all over the cutting board and been like, what the fuck? And then I see that there's a cut on my hand that I didn't even notice was there for like five minutes until it really started bleeding. It reminded me of a certain thing in Harry Potter that I can't talk about. Like a very, oh. a very violent action that happens. Okay. That I was just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, but we can't talk much more about that. So, um, so yeah, he, and I, I really like to, when he, uh, looks over at his finger, where his fingers are on the, uh, ground there, they were curled like a bloody quotation mark on the lead. And he, he starts laughed. giggling. Yeah. Um, so, and the dude who is, uh, the old man is like, oh yes, we have medicines and healing ointments. This is very precious. And he takes out a tube of this, like, uh, ba- he says it was a dusty battered tube of ordinary antiseptic cream, such as Will could have bought in any pharmacy in his world. Yeah. The old man was handling it as if it were made of myrrh. Will looked away. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they must've stolen it, mm-hmm. I guess. Yep. It's really sad, like, that he's stuck in this place where if he had been home, maybe he could have got his fingers put back on. But this place, they're like, look at this magical cream, which is what I would use for, like, a paper cut. That's Neosporin. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. That is a bummer. I hadn't thought about that. But if they were in his world, they could have reattached them. Yeah. My grandma sliced off the tip of her thumb once. Ooh. I didn't know that. Yeah. (laughs) I did. I cut a into my nail, and like I guess almost the tip was gone. And they wanted to, um, they, the place that I got brought because of an emergency. Like I cut myself at work, and ordinarily I would have just been like whatever and wrapped in a band aid and just stayed home. But they like made me go to the emergency room, which I found really annoying. And the emergency room was like, oh, we could give you stitches, but since it's your nail. We don't want to sew through your nail, so we're going to use this uh, glue. The glue. Mm-hmm. the glue didn't stick. It like it worked for like a day, and then it very quickly came apart again. And I wound up having to wrap it in a Band-Aid and just holding it together until it healed anyway. So I may as well not have gone. Yeah. Thanks a lot for nothing. They probably charged you a bunch of money for it. 
Probably. I don't even remember at this point. I hate the emergency room. Anytime yeah. someone suggests that I go to the emergency room, I'm like, no. That's why I was like that. Because like, it's not like I'm so tough that I don't want somebody to fix me. It's just yeah. that it's a fucking pain in the ass. It's, it's expensive. It's and it doesn't do anything at the time. Overchar- they overcharge this shit. Oh, yeah. Me. We had an employee once through his own carelessness uh, slip on a floor stripper, which like emulsifies the wax. Very slippery. Well, mm-hmm. he slipped and he braced his fall on a display of gutters, like metal gutters mm-hmm. like you would have in your house. So, yeah, it sliced the shit out of his hand. And um, this was during the day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, do you need to, what do you need to do? Do you need to go to the emergency room? You need a Band-Aid or what? I was like, well, I guess I could put a bandage on it. And so, like... We went and we bought a first aid kit and he bandaged it up. Well, eventually that wasn't enough. So Mm -hmm. we wound up deciding to go to the doctor, but in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. So he had to go to the emergency room. They had to give him some stitches and we, you know, offered to pay the bill. But they wound up charging him like $600, you know, something Mm -hmm. ridiculous. And Grandpa was like, I think he, I think my boss called up there and like got them to lower the bill. Nice. Because he was like, no, that is not what stitches cost. It's really like there have been a lot of um, a lot of studies done in terms of the charges coming from hospitals and how fraudulent they are sometimes. Yeah. And like there was one that was they charged somebody three hundred dollars for what they called like a mucus disposal system. And it turned out to be a box of Kleenex. And they were just like. It, it felt like it was almost a game, you know? It is a game. Um, like, and if you don't have somebody who knows shit looking through it all for you, and if you are suffering some from a really intense illness, you might not. Um, I, I have nothing but disdain for the current medical system. Mm-hmm. Like, all of it ground up. Like, I'm not – I don't know. I don't want to get into politics or, like, any of that, but I think it's all bullshit. And especially in our area that we live in. Oh, God. It's really bad over here. Yeah. There's um, – there's the local hospital here in town, which has, I think they say the highest, charges the highest out of any in North Texas. Does it really? Yeah. And uh. um, just up north of the river is a, the hospital in Durant that we, we, I, we actually used to do quite a bit of work for them. And they charged the most in the entire state. Wow. Yeah. It was ridiculous. There was a, uh, I think there was a, they were on 60 Minutes. Really? 60 Minutes like talked about this whole problem and they specifically mentioned that hospital. <laughs> um, so yeah, fuck the, uh, the medical industrial complex and, uh, fuck the system. Um, let's go listen to some rage against the machine. Right. Okay. So he's lost his fingers. Uh, that Tulio was a really is dead. long tangent. I'm sorry. Guys. That's okay. Um, and then, uh, they are studying the, the blade and you know the two different sides of it and the guy shows them that it can cut right through a spoon which is pretty cool um and he also tells them i know that man he's a liar and a cheat he won't give you anything make no mistake he wants the knife and once he has it he will betray you. oh something we did not mention but oh, that is snake. very important he is a demon so he's clearly from lyra's world yeah and she talks about how he's familiar do you remember him I think I vaguely do. Wasn't he from the beginning of this? No, he wasn't from the beginning. Was he? Yeah, he was in one of those like boring little middle sections where they're not following Lyra. They're following like the church people, right? Wasn't he in the movie also? I don't remember if he, I don't, I don't remember if he was in the movie. 
Yeah, isn't there a part where he's like in a big meeting and he's got like the snake? Right? I'm not telling you. If you don't remember. I mean, I'm probably not going to remember ever, so you're not really like... Yeah, I am, because they'll tell you in the book. Oh, okay. But, well, yeah. Maybe he was at that dinner with her, with Lyra and... Uh, Mrs. Coulter? Yeah, Nicole Kidman. Okay. At the at Jordan College? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I do. I definitely remember a kind of slimy uh, magisterium guy with a snake demon. So I'm, okay. I'm pretty sure he's magisterium. Um, and let's see. So yeah, this dude knows him. It's like I opened that window hoping that he would follow me here and be consumed by the specters. He doesn't actually say that he was hoping it was him. He just says that a, a arrogant man or whatever. I'm pretty sure he doesn't actually straight up say it was the snake guy. I thought he did. Uh, because I was thinking he was maybe talking about Lord Azrael. Oh, okay. Unless I just completely missed something. Um, I'm trying to find that spot where he just, where he talks about that. Um, uh, and, but yeah, he's uh, teaching... Yeah, Will he, how to use the knife. He's giving Will his Obi-Wan moment where he's, right? he's putting a uh, a helmet on him and making him block laser bolts with his <laughs> magic knife. Um so then he said then he teaches him how to close it again also, which Will has a really hard time like focusing and Lyra has to stop him and be like, "Okay, what you're trying to do is put your brain in two places at once and block out the pain from your hand and focus on this thing which you can't do. So you need to stop trying to block it and accept it and be like, "Yes, it does hurt." And then proceed through that. Yeah. Um which he tries and that seems to work. Right. Um and let's see. Um doop 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 we un uh, we undid the bonds and we let the specters in. Why was the window left open when uh, under those trees? And he says, where the specters come from is a mystery. From another world, from the darkness of space, who knows? What matters is that they are here and they have destroyed us. Are there other w windows into this world? Yes, a few, because sometimes a knife bearer might be careless or forgetful without time to stop and close as he should. And the window you came through under the hornbeam trees, I left that open myself in a moment of unforgivable foolishness. There is a man I'm afraid of, and I thought to tempt him through and into the city where he would fall victim to the specters. So yeah, you're right. He doesn't specifically it's say that It's probably guy. not, though, because I keep forgetting this, too. Like, Lord Azrael has been into the idea of traveling between worlds for a long time, mm -hmm. but he's only just managed to do it like a month ago. Right. So probably not. It's, But then again... Maybe it's the white-haired guy. Oh, white-haired guy. The white-haired, the dude that's been following Lyra and... Oh, the blonde guy. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it white? They're like, it's so hair. blonde that it's almost white. Oh, okay. Or they're like, so blonde that it almost looks like he doesn't have eyebrows. Oh, okay. You ever meet a guy like that? Um, maybe it's him. Maybe it's the same guy. I honestly mm, don't remember. Maybe. I'm just theor I'm theorizing it's, along with you right now. It's weird to me that the Magisterium has a sleeper guy, like, in... Will's world? Okay. Because I'm like 90% sure that that's what the... Uh, do we have his name? Um, Sir something. It was at the that's top right. of the card. Because he, he's been knighted. So he must have been there for a long time. Sir Charles Latrom. Latrom. Yeah. It's just weird to me that like they've had someone in there for so long. So I guess they've known how to do this. But... Why? So you think he's Magisterium? I'm almost positive. Okay. 
uh, but he has to be from Lyra's, Lyra's world. So mm-hmm. that would the only th- other thing that that could mean is that he's like there's some other organization that knows how to do this that has like plans in place to be taking alethiometers and getting <laughs> subtle knives and whatever the title of the third book is. The Amber Spyglass. Yes. Um. So what else? Um, he, there's a man I'm afraid of. I think he's too clever for a trick like that. He wants the knife. Please never let him get it. Um, so all I can do is hand the knife to you, show you how to use it. And, uh, and he gives them the rules. So. Yeah. What were the rules? again? First, never open without closing. Second, never let anyone else use the knife. It is yours alone. Third, never use it for a base purpose. Fourth, keep it secret. If keep it are, secret. Keep it safe. Keep it safe. If there are other rules, I've forgotten them. And if I've forgotten them, it's because they don't matter, which is a pretty solid reasoning to me. Yeah. Um, I would really like, though, that later on there is a rule that he forgot and it turned out it was super important. <laughs> Oopsies. Um, he says, I shall die very soon because I know there are poisonous drugs and I don't intend to wait for the specters to come in as they will once the knife is left. Go. And, uh, he, she, Lyra's like, what the fuck? And he's like, nope, there's no time. You've come here for a purpose. Maybe you don't know what that purpose is, but the angels do who brought you here, which is interesting. Um, and it's sort of, you could say that it's faith, but there are actual angels in this world, evidently. So, (laughs) and like, I almost got the... I got the idea that, like, they're not necessarily just from the Chitagatsky world. The angels aren't? Yeah. Okay. I thought maybe that they're, like, multiversal spanning. Okay. Um, but, I mean, we don't really know, but that would be an interesting thing to I see. I mean, there are images of angels in our world, so it would make sense that they've been more than one, more than one place. Mm. It's not some creature that... Only Chitagatsi has a concept of or carvings yeah. of on their churches and stuff, hmm. you know. They, t- oh, he shakes the guy's hand. Will shakes the old man's hand. And uh, Lyra's and nods to Pantalaimon. And um, they go outside and Lyra's really worried about this. She says, it's horrible thinking of. And his poor teeth was all broken and he could hardly see out his eye. He's just going to swallow some poison and die now, and I wish she was on the verge of tears. Hush, said Will. It won't hurt him. He'll just go to sleep. It's better than the specters, he said. Um, and she's really worried. She's like, you're hurt so bad, and that poor old man, I hate this place. I really do. I'd burn it to the ground. What are we going to do now? And he says, well, we've got to get the alethiometer back, so we'll have to steal it. That's what we're going to do. Because now we have a subtle knife. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, so what do you think of that? Yeah, I'm excited to see what happens next. I'm really enjoying this book a lot more than the last one. I know I was a little down on parts of it, mm-hmm. but this is much more interesting. Like, I, I can't wait to see what's coming next. Okay. And part of the reason why I was a little frustrated with parts is because I was like, okay, I have questions already. Like you're bringing up more things that I'm like, th- I don't understand where this is going. Okay. Um, so I'm looking forward to the next section a lot. Um, yeah, I actually think that I think the third book is actually my favorite. Um, but 
it's also it's kind of different in a lot of ways. So I'm interested to see what you think about that. Um, but yeah, I guess that's it. Um, I just wanted to say hi to new patrons okay. before we wrap up. Um, so let's see. We have Brittany McIsaac, Nathan, Sperry Editorial, Mandy Rath, Sheer, Yara Batista, Dennis Ramirez, Marshall M., Holly Love, Andrea Hennie, I'm sorry, Andrea. Your last name has got a lot of Y's in it. Uh, Lexi Rudolph and David Hunt. And then on Kickstarter, I got a few new backers on there. Sean Bustler, Paul, Alex Gallup, and Eric Fingerman. All right. So thank you guys so much. If you guys are uh, interested in the Kickstarter, there's a bunch of like different prizes, uh, what they call uh, rewards for uh, backing me at different levels, um, including... Shout outs, question and answer sessions, me actually recording a whole episode on a movie that you recommend, um, a one-on-one chat uh, via tiny chat before I do the podcast and then recording the podcast live with an audience. Um, so there's all kinds of different things. So check it out. Um, the Kickstarter is pinned to the top of my Facebook page and at the top of my Twitter. So you can find them very easily. It's a uh, facebook.com backslash unspoiled pod or twitter at unspoiled show um and if you would like to pledge on patreon it is patreon.com backslash unspoiled and owen and i have been covering jessica jones um which i'm really enjoying a lot and that is a patrons only podcast yes spoiler alert it's good it is quite good pretty good and i have a lot of people angry at me that i haven't gotten further in the series yet because they want to talk to me about it um I feel like there was another thing that I wanted to announce. Oh, um, Alan and I are getting towards the end of Hannibal, so we're going to be starting Justified soon. So nice. that's pretty exciting. And uh, I'm going to be loading this to the um, Unspoiled Book Club. Uh, it's, it's called the Unspoiled Book Club Libsyn feed right now. I'm going to switch it to just his dark materials and... Um, the Unspoiled Book Club is going to be a different thing that I'm going to do, I think, also exclusively for patrons. Oh, so okay. those of you who are, you know, uh, following this on iTunes, um, the logo and the name of the feed might change. So don't be alarmed by that. It's still going to be the same podcast. It's just going to be a different logo and specifically for his dark materials only. Um, I think that is about it. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Owen, for being here. I'm glad to be here. And we will see you soon with a new episode. Bye, guys. See you later. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.